0: Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Backra, a European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, John Briggs and Theo Chapsalis. Before getting into our discussion today, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And if any listeners have any questions they'd like me to ask the Bondcasters, please email us at bondcast at natwest.com. All right, John, let's go straight into the Fed this week, because I think that was really the, the main event of the week. And, you know, on the European side, at least it's, it's been quite quiet and we've really all been looking forward to this Fed meeting. Um, in the end, it wasn't as potentially exciting or market moving as it might have otherwise been. <laughs> um, I, the two things I guess we spoke about on the pod last week that we were Watching out for, or the kind of key themes we'd be looking at, were anything around uh, inflation and tapering, and then also the Delta variant. So, could you, I guess, just kind of talk through uh, what we learned about the Fed's thinking on on both of those things, and and how it might have differed from from what we or the markets were expecting?
1: Yeah, I mean, this Fed meeting was a little bit of a Roar test, right? Where if you want to find something dovish in it, you can find it. If you want to find something hawkish in it, you could. So. You know, the fact that on the hawkish side, we can argue that Powell didn't really seem that concerned about Delta. and He said, as, you know, as the pandemic goes on, it seems like, you know, it has less impact on the growth outlook. So, you know, for people that may have been looking to see if he was more worried about the downside risks as, you know, as we've, something we've talked about as potential to a surprise, that certainly, you know, wasn't there and, you know, in a minor way went the other way. Um, but on the Dovish side, you know, on the progress tour, he says, when we're talking about progress towards tapering and substantial progress towards their goals, you know, they did acknowledge they've made some progress, but, you know, that they said that they're you know, intimated that they're still a ways off. So, um, you know, we're still in this timeline where taper is probably going to be outlined in September. That's still plenty of time. You've got two employment reports between then. You've got a lot of data. You've got, in our minds, um, likely Cases coming down in, um, not maybe not cases coming down in, in the US, but uh, more evidence that you'll have this break in linkage between uh, high levels of cases and then hospitalizations and fatalities. Not that you're not going to have any of that, but nothing to the extent. That we had last time. So there's a lot of there's a lot of room here to continue to make progress. And remember, just even if they say in September that how it looks like we're going to taper towards the end of the year, or you know, set it up for a future announcement, there's still time within that to have substantial progress. I don't think they need to have substantial progress by the time they outline what they're thinking when it comes to taper. So it's just substantial progress for them to actually start it. So you know that was, but still, you know, there wasn't any, you know, uh, huge. Lean towards that the actual taper start is going to start earlier than, you know, we in our view, November. There was a little bit, this was more before the least recent growth scare, but I would say earlier in the summer, some of the more bearish um, market participants were starting to entertain the idea that they could actually start in September if we continue to roar and open. But, you know, that's been pretty much dissipated. And I think that's certainly been reinforced by uh, his commentary.
0: Just sticking with the timeline, then you mentioned, you know, the September meeting and then uh, potential taper to begin in November. But actually, before then, I guess the next kind of event that market participants will be looking ahead to is um, Jackson Hole at the end of August. So are we thinking that that from a policy perspective, that's likely to be a bit of a damp squib or um, is this an event that we should actually be a bit more excited about?
1: So, I mean, the market's definitely going to be super excited about it. I mean, I'm I'm probably a little bit of an outlier when it comes to other strategists in that I just don't feel like they, A, he, the power needs to use that speech to set up tapering. We've been talking about this for months. Um, and B, it's kind of an academic setting. You know, they tend to look at a lot of research and policies around a certain subject matter. So when you were thinking about for example, introducing a new monetary policy regime flexible average inflation targeting. There's a lot of information that comes from that and potentially, you know, uh, signaling when Powell talks at that conference about, you know, which, which, which studies they've looked at, what their look, you know, what subject matters they're leaning towards or, you know, the, the, the lean of the research. So you know, when you're introducing a new policy, there's a lot that you could probably gain from that. I mean, taper, let's be honest, is, is kind of a whole hump thing. I mean, it's not 2013. We understand it a lot better. Yes, it matters when it starts. Yes, it matters the pace. Yes, it matters all of it. All that matters because the sequencing then between that and potential rate hikes down the road. But there's not a lot of academic, new academic material that, you know, that global researchers can present at Jackson Hall about tapering, you know, we kind of get it. That said, you know, he does have an opening speech, so that's certainly going to be looked at and he could clue in more on the broader subject of substantial progress or, you know, update on his views, whether the risks with Delta variant certainly have passed or, you know, their outlooks on inflation. So it's I'm thinking his speech more along the lines of a potential for him to just kind of update the general narrative rather than a taper speech. So you definitely need to pay attention to it, but it doesn't feel to me like the right place to, or the right forum, um, you know, to advance any major monetary policy decisions versus the potential, you know, other past forums where they have.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. So just quickly then on the taper, um, you mentioned then that that the kind of pace and, and, you know, sequencing what that means for rate hikes is important too. So once, You know, our base case is that this kicks off in November. How fast are we expecting them to taper down purchases? And and therefore, what does that mean for when we pencil in the first rate hike?
1: So we have it starting at 10 and 5 between Treasuries and MBS. You know, I do think that it's um, that if you remember back in 13 that they announced it meeting by meeting not month by month. So the market kind of assumed it was on a regular schedule and that was the correct assumption. I think that'll be the correct assumption this time, but the fed will want to retain that flexibility. So as long as nothing terrible happens or they don't get derailed on the recovery, you know, they will be on autopilot, but um, any changes will be coming month to month and they will update us month to month. I'm sorry, meeting to meeting, but, you know, so that takes us towards, you know, the middle of the next summer, next year, And then you look at towards the first rate hike. I mean, end of 22 is pretty aggressive. You can get there if you have the inflation or the market can worry about us getting there. If we have inflation numbers that we have towards the end of the year, which I'll remind again is over 3% on core, um, you know, between now and even the first into the first quarter of next year. So I think the market at some point is going to entertain that, hence our bearish uh, views in the belly of the curve. but you know realistically, even though I think the market's going to worry about that realistically you know we're kind of in the middle to third quarter of 23. there's a lot of uncertainty though there's a lot of variability. some of the recent wage increases are going to stick as the supply chains disruptions if that lasts and some of you on the good side some of the the price increases become, not permanent but if we become used to them over 9 months maybe companies don't pull back we don't pull back to the you know pre-covid times and it's a little bit more sticky then you can entertain a faster one but you know again we've if if and if we do move back to kind of the old ways and inflation comes back after all the base effects and everything at this time next year you know the fed might be able to be more patient and push that unemployment envelope. so there's a ton of uncertainty i mean even more there's always uncertainty but there's even more than normal Around how the next nine months as this reopening evolves, as the global COVID cases creates a lot of differentiation, you know, in low vaccinated countries versus high vaccinated countries, the effects on that on supply chains. So this is going to be a bumpy ride. Um, So you know, I'd hate to say that I have a ton of conviction that that June or September 2023 is going to be the first rate hike. Uh, More conviction that the back half of this year is going to be tricky for the markets, put a lot of pressure on the Fed.
0: Well, at least we'll have a lot to talk about then in the second half. sure hour. will. Sounds exciting. And, and just listening to there, you know, um, I know that markets have shifted a lot over the past few weeks, but it's crazy to me that it wasn't that long ago that we were pricing in the first rate hike in Europe um, in the back end of 2023. Like, it just shows you how, well, wrong I think markets really are, that we're not even looking for the first hike from the Fed until then. Uh, and Europe is clearly some ways off where where the Fed is at.
1: Yeah, so let me flip this right back on you though when it comes to Europe. I mean, it's it's been a kind of uneventful week. I would say they've been kind of led around by other markets. When is when should we turn our attention back to Europe? Are there any events or is it just waiting now till Cintra? I mean, what's the what are the risks that you see on the European side going forward?
0: I mean, yeah, honestly. Europe seems like it's going to be pretty quiet over the next few weeks. I think like, what's been driving markets this week, as you say, has been a combination of other markets, so the Fed and, and expectations for that, clearly concerns around the Delta variant, um, you know, just the fact that it's generally been low liquidity week, a, a typical kind of late July week, I would say, in European markets. Um, in terms of what I'm looking for to shift the narrative, I think... You know as you mentioned we're more optimistic on on the delta uh, variant you know the evidence that we're seeing from highly vaccinated economies places like spain and the netherlands that link between cases and mortality really does seem to have been weakened thanks to the vaccine so um you know that data is encouraging but i think it'll take a few more weeks to see that kind of feed through to other countries as well before the market really shifts its narrative on that um so the delta variant is the first thing and then i guess really we're just looking ahead to september Um, I'm not sure, the ECB meeting for now is clearly live, but there's been a few headlines over the past weeks to say that they may not even be uh, kind of making any decisions on on the future path policy in in September. Um, And they're under no rush to, you know, the uh, PEP isn't due to end until March. So for all the uncertainties that we might still have around the Delta variant and the strength of the recovery, et cetera, in September, they could push that decision back to October or even December. Uh, And then like you say, to try I guess that that comes back to the same, you know, arguments that you made for Jackson Hole. It doesn't feel like the right place to be making any policy announcements. We kind of placed importance on it previously because we thought that it might be the opportune moment to present the strategic review. But actually, we've had that now. So I think Sintra, in terms of risk events, has become much less important. Um, And then the end of September, I guess we'll be looking forward to to German elections too. Um, But certainly the next. Few weeks feels particularly quiet for Europe, and and we may well be stuck in this kind of range-bound, low volatility, not particularly uh, exciting markets. I would say, sadly for us. Yeah, <laughs> feels like it. But where we might see a little bit more volatility, I guess, is on the UK side, Theo. You know, we've got the Bank of England rounding out our trio of bondcast central banks next week. Um, we spoke last week about how we had that kind of dichotomy of of uh, central bank speakers from, from the Bank of England, on some coming out on the more hawkish side and some on the more dovish side. We've had a couple more to add to that debate this week, I guess, most notably Vlieger at the beginning of the week. Um, so... Has that changed your opinion of how this all kind of settles next week? And, and what's our base case assumption for how either hawkish or dovish you, you think the Bank of England might be?
2: Yeah, I think that, first of all, um, there has been a change and it looks that the Saunders and the Ramsden camp is more of a special case rather than a significant part of the BOE. So as you've mentioned, the Vlieger speech has been particularly important, especially because Vlieger Uh, compares the factors of disinflation from the past to now. And the, the, the main message that he wants to convey is that still these factors are at play. And hence, he mentions the case for low rates in general for longer to the extent that there are significant shifts, significant changes from the government side. So basically, he makes a case that the central bank has got some limited ability on what they can do. Now, we definitely will hear about uh, asset purchases and we uh, are likely to uh, hear, for example, uh, Member Saunders uh, suggesting a reduction in the stock of QE. So this is something that would look very plausible with his previous statements. So will it be under him or will it be, will he be accompanied by Ramstan? Um, I think that it, is, it is quite likely that Ramstan also votes for a reduction, but this is it. Would We expect other members of the BOE to uh, vote for a continuation. And to be fair, it doesn't make much sense to just, um, you know, try and really uh, reduce the stock of QE that soon. I mean, you can allow data and everything a bit longer and you allow QE to the year end and QE anyway in the UK is done. So there is no tapering, no nothing, no discussion. As in the US, QE at the end of the year will be done. So what we may hear is potentially, um, you know, if there is a level beyond which, Uh, the the, the BOE considers reducing the stock of QE. So this is something, again, it it is something that may come up. I would not say that this is a high probability event, but this is something that may come up, but it will be particularly important. This is one. We may hear a bit more on the sequencing. And it's very interesting because there's been a a debate between the House of Lords and uh, the BOE, the House of Lords, there is an, an ongoing inquiry on on whether they've acted appropriately with regards to QE. So I guess the the, the way that QE is implemented and the the, the effectiveness. So we will hear from the BOE with regards to sequencing, which I think is particularly important. Um, When and how much of a rate hike do we get? But in the UK, to be fair, we talk about rate hikes in 2022. And this is a message that we as a UK team have. So we think about rate hikes are coming in 2022. We think that this is more a case for November 2022. So at the end of the year, there are risks to an August high. But our base case is definitely a lot less hawkish than what the market price is in. So the UK seems that will be the first one to high, but quite later than what the market price is in.
0: Okay. I noticed when you were talking about that, you said hikes uh, a couple of times rather than hikes. So does this mean we're looking for a hiking cycle after that first hike? And and I guess just to put that into context for um, the listeners, our first hike that we've cancelled in is a 15 basis point hike, right? So that takes us from uh, 0.1% now in the bank rate to 0.25%. So. After we get that first 15 basis point hike in November, perhaps with risks of of that coming earlier in August, how do we see the the kind of bank rate profile looking from there? And and how does that compare to what the market's expecting as well?
2: Yeah, I guess we do expect indeed hikes. Um, So the first one at the end of 2022 and then potentially a first one in the first half. Of 2023, that will be a 25, not a 15 basis point hike. So the second hike, we expect it to be a 25 basis point hike. Uh, the market does expect a BOE that will deliver the hike very fast. The market seems to be pricing in a terminal rate of around 0.7%. So this is very interesting. If we had this call two months ago, the terminal rate would be around uh, 1%. So the market has shifted the terminal rate the market does expect the delivery of early hikes because the market expects inflation to be really high. This is more a global case, but particularly prevalent in the US and in the UK. So to the extent that there is some reaction, and well, Saunders definitely reacts to that based on his his words, then we're pricing, you know, a more rapid tightening cycle, a fairly Uh, You know, short, so we talk about uh, hikes that are are delivered fairly soon and the market prices And most hikes within the first three years and then nothing, which is very interesting. So we have a curve, which is particularly steep at the front end in terms of Sonia meetings and then flat. Uh, Our view is that probably the viewer will be a bit more patient. So not deliver all hikes directly and then do absolutely nothing. It will be more a case, and this is why we've got our first hike penciled in a bit later that the BOE that they will be patient with regards to uh, inflation and that there is still a significant part of the BOE that push against the current inflation prints, and they argue, they see them as transitory. So the battle between transitory and non-transitory for the BOE still seems to be in favor of those supporting the transitory
0: camp. The ongoing battle. (laughs) I think transitory must be the word of 2021 now. Um, So just finally then, I guess, to wrap up on the Bank of England, how does this kind of, uh, what trade ideas kind of drop out of this or or what themes are you kind of looking to for the next couple of weeks um, for markets?
2: So in terms of the UK curve, we have maintained a bearish bias. And uh, this, um, you know, this has had uh, some uh, easy and some challenging times. Especially in, in the last days, has been challenging for duration. Well, everywhere in Euro and the US, as well, so the UK in particular, because we had also coupon money, that, and it has been because of some technicalities. Where does it leave us? We do aim for a steeper curve. Um, we think that the ten-year sector is a part of the curve that can sell off, and we look at different structures. Uh, we do like uh, being, um, you know, being long and being on the receipt side at, at, at the parts of the curve where substantial hiking is in the price. Uh, so we do think that curve can steepen from here and can steepen on the back of um, you know, improved macro, the whole recovery story, and then again, uh, you know, the, 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 the usual themes such as uh, the, the linkage between hospitalization in cases of that being uh, um, weaker, et cetera, et cetera, et etc. But if for some reason, we are actually wrong in that regard, if you have this structure, what you do have is you get some protection from being received at the front of the curve. Because if for whatever reason, indeed things turn out ugly, of course the curve will flatten, but there will be some support from the front end of the curve and the market will price out the hikes. So relative to other expression and relative to other themes that one can have, we do like that expression simply because there is a significant amount of protection and because the market does expect, it does price in a view that is very hawkish, very soon, and hence the market prices in a particularly flat curve.
0: All right, that makes sense. Uh, I'm very much with you on that being a, a challenging time to hold those bearish duration views. <laughs> Our uh, positive yield target in 10-year bonds has been challenged quite a lot this week, I have to say um all right then guys i guess that's really all we've got time for this week but we will record the pod straight after the bank of england next week so we'll have hot off the press uh reaction from you theo next week um thank you (laughs) thank you all for joining and just a reminder to our listeners that if you did like today's episode then please hit the like button to show your opinion and click subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available and a final reminder if you'd like to ask our bondcasters any questions please email us at bondcast at natwest.com thanks